From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hello to all of you checking us out on one of our affiliate stations across North America. And for a complete list of affiliates, go to strangeplanet.ca, then find the Conspiracy Radio Program page, and right up in the top corner you'll see affiliates. Just click on that. Howdy to those of you listening via the Conspiracy Show app. Hi to those who uh, listen and watch on the live YouTube stream. And again, please visit our YouTube channel and hit the red sub button. And of course, hello to all of our regulars who join us in the live chat, wherever and however you're listening. I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. All right, we are going to talk uh, UFOs, we're going to talk ghosts, and we're going to open up the lines and make them available to you as well. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is here for the full hour. She's a best-selling author, researcher, investigator in the paranormal, metaphysical, and related fields, including afterlife studies, spirit communication, cryptids, alien contact, and the interdimensional aspects of our extraordinary experience. She has more than 65 books published on a wide range of topics, including nine single-volume encyclopedias and reference works. Uh, Her work is translated into 17 languages, and she has worked full-time in the field since 1983. Let me just give you a sampling of some of her work. Uh, Haunted by the Things You Love, Ouija Gone Wild, Dream Work for Visionary Living, Black Mirror Scrying, Calling Upon Angels, The Zozo Phenomenon, Demon Haunted, True Stories from the John Zaffis Vault, The Road to Strange, Werewolves and Dogmen, Guide to Psychic Protection, and uh, more recently, another uh, Fate Magazine anthology on uh, the afterlife. And her latest is another Fate uh, anthology. This is Fate Presents UFOs and the ET Presence, the website visionaryliving.com, Visionary. Living.com. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. Hello. Hi there, Richard. Always a pleasure. Indeed it is. It's been a while since you've written a book about UFOs, hasn't it? Well, actually, I had a book, The Road to Strange, UFOs, Aliens, ah, and High Strangers, which came out in January. That's these right, two books yes. mark my first books in the UFO field. I've written about UFOs in books, and I've done articles. But I'd never done uh, dedicated books to the topic, and I'm very pleased to bring both of them out. The Road to Strange uh, has been uh, a big hit. It landed on the Amazon category bestseller list, and um, the Fate Anthology, UFOs in the ET Presence, just came out about two or three weeks ago, and is the first of several volumes dedicated to UFOs. Fate magazine published more on UFOs than any other topic in its entire history, and there's just a wealth of material. And uh, they just recently celebrated their 70th anniversary, did they not? Yes. The magazine was launched in 1948 on the heels of Kenneth Arnold's historic sighting of the flying disks over Mount Rainier in 1947, which is credited with launching the modern UFO era. And yes. over the course of time, experts in all the fields of the paranormal, uh, Fortean research, cryptids, UFOs, metaphysics, afterlife research, leading experts have written for fate, and more than a thousand articles are, are in the vault. Now, I've been associated with fate in various capacities since the early 90s. 
uh, started out as a writer, then a columnist, then a consulting editor. Now I'm executive editor. And one of the things that I wanted to do was provide a new showcase for this treasure of information that is still relevant today. The articles have historical significance. Uh, They contain information that is just as applicable today as it was whenever the article was written. And uh, this is a good way to get fate introduced to a new audience including people who have been subscribers over the years. Let me just read from the table of contents to give people a sense of who uh, wrote articles about UFOs for fate, and these are included in the anthology. Rosemary Ellen Guiley has compiled, edited, and contributed some articles. But we mentioned Kenneth Arnold. Uh, there's an article in there from Kenneth Arnold. There's one from John Keel, of course, from the, the Mothman Prophecies. John Keel has written at least one article, J. Allen Hynek has an article. Brad Steiger, of course, who we just lost recently. I notice here Alan Spraggett, which is interesting because Alan Spraggett was a, um, a Toronto broadcaster uh, who I believe at one time had a late night show at CFRB where I, I toiled for many years. We have um, Kevin Randall, of course, and Paula Harris. I mean, this is just Ingo Swan, for crying out loud, on remote viewing UFOs and extraterrestrials. This is really a veritable who's who, uh, some real heavyweights. All of these people have contributed articles. I wanted to ask you about an article that you submitted, and this has to do with why science should investigate the evidence for ET visitation. And I just wanted to give you a few minutes just to kind of recap that article and, and make your case for any scientists out there that are listening. Well, of course, various experts have made the pitch that science should pay attention to UFOs, and I'm also in excellent company in this anthology because J. Allen Hynek uh, has a piece to that effect as well. And as you know, before we get to my piece, Hynek started out as a skeptic, as a debunker, working for Project Sign and Project Blue Book for the Air Force, looking at cases and collecting evidence and became a convert himself. So what we ran in fate was a a letter that he sent to Science Magazine saying, you know, scientists really have the wrong take on uh, UFOs when they say that people are mistaken, they're hallucinating, they're crackpots and things like that. Uh, Well, years later, I interviewed some people who had just published an article about E.T. visitation, is it possible for E.T.s to visit Earth? And I interviewed James Deerdorf, uh, Hal Putoff, and Bruce McAbee about their opinions about science and the E.T. visitation question. You know, is, is there a logical explanation for E.T.s traveling a great distance to be able to visit Earth? And personally, I think a lot of them are coming from interdimensional areas, not extra terrestrial responses, but it's a Q&A, and they talk about how polarized opinions are in science about ufology, and that really hasn't changed over the years, despite the anecdotal evidence that uh, has piled up, the eyewitness accounts, even declassified documents from the government. Science still remains very polarized over the question of whether or not we're being visited, and even if we are being visited, how we're being visited, how it's possible. 
so uh, it was kind of an eye-opening interview Q&A with these gentlemen who uh, were all big names in the field in science and some of their candid replies about the ridicule factor in ufology, and that crops up over and over again. I just spoke at the Western Connecticut UFO conference. My talk drew upon this book and on the road to strange and uh, some other of the work that I've done about strange cases and how do we explain them when the rules of logic don't apply. And the eyewitnesses who are routinely called crackpots or they were supposedly drunk or they imagined things. In other words, they've got a problem, and so therefore their experience needs to be dismissed out of hand. It just goes on and on, and it's mind-boggling. Indeed it is. One of the conundrums, I think, for a scientist is, I mean, how do you even approach this topic? Because you've done an excellent job in sifting through almost 800 issues, I think, that the fate has published over the last 70 years. But when you look down the table of contents, I mean, it illustrates perfectly how complicated this whole issue is. You've got a Nazi component. There's a, an article in there about the Nazis and UFOs. You've got cryptids with the Mothman. And, you know, people also report Bigfoot sightings in conjunction with UFOs. You've got Ingo Swan talking about remote viewing. And a number of people have talked about the psychic connection between ETs and themselves and so forth. It's just so complicated. I don't even know how we begin to study this thing from a scientific point of view. Well, it, it is rather daunting, and um, one of the things that Maccabee, Deerdorf, and Putoff addressed in the uh, interview piece that I did with them was the extraterrestrial hypothesis, and that really took center stage in early ufology. It hasn't gone away by any means, but the extraterrestrial hypothesis, in other words, how do we explain scientifically these visitations? because the assumption was made that we're being visited by beings from other worlds that are at a great distance from us. So how do they travel maybe even millions of light years? Uh, exactly. Rosemary, I've got to jump in here. Pardon the interruption. We'll take a time out. We'll come back and we'll get back to that alien hypothesis. Rosemary Ellen Guiley has compiled, edited, and contributed to a fate magazine anthology on UFOs called Fate Presents UFOs and the ET Presence. Back with more in a moment. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is with us, and uh, her new project is an anthology from Fate Magazine. Fate presents UFOs and the ET presence. She has compiled, edited, and contributed articles uh, to this anthology. And uh, we were talking about the alien hypothesis and how to explain how, if we are being visited by extraterrestrial civilizations, how they could arrive here on this planet from vast, unimaginable distances, perhaps hundreds of thousands of light years away. And this has been a real stumbling block in ufology for a long time. I really think the extraterrestrial hypothesis should be set aside and that we concentrate on looking for other explanations. Now, in the interview I did, Hal put off a pine that perhaps we might get somewhere with SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, but the legs have been cut out from under that. Uh, you know, it's lost a lot of funding, and there just wasn't a continued initiative along those lines. 
more likely, most of our experiences are interdimensional rather than extraterrestrial, and we might be able to find explanations for that with the new physics, uh, with quantum physics, rather than looking at things conventionally. Do aliens travel in a craft, and so therefore how fast do they need to go, and do they find wormholes? I believe that these beings that we're calling extraterrestrials, many of them don't come from other planets. They come from parallel universes and dimensions that are very close to the one we're living in. And we're uh, looking at situations where there are gaps in the interdimensional boundaries and we have these breakthroughs when we have visitations. And that that applies to other things as well. It certainly could apply to mysterious creatures for example, and uh, even ghosts and hauntings. Yes, you've often talked about how there is probably underneath all of these paranormal, supernatural experiences, including the UFO phenomena, there is probably a common denominator. Well, the common denominator, I think, is consciousness. And there is something that requires a, a triggering of something in our consciousness for us to have these experiences and uh, when we look at the patterns of experiences in individuals, there are people who have more frequent experiences and more dramatic experiences than others. That certainly applies in uh, ufology. People who have frequent sightings of craft or they're targeted for abductions, and then other people who don't seem to have any sort of uh, experiences, e even sightings of mysterious lights in the sky. And there has been indication that, that the government in the U.S. has been conducting research for a long time on the psychic factor, looking for genetic uh, markers for certain psychic traits that indicate a predisposition to having certain kinds of experiences, including the UFO experience and that this marker might be enhanced literally through breeding and that they have found volunteers to have their DNA tested for these certain markers. They seem to run in families. Not much is known about these programs. I did a, a column, I, I have an occasional column on OnStellar.com called UFO Underground, and I did report on that earlier in the spring, and um, I think some other ufologists have also reported on it as well. And this could be the path that secretly government agencies are really pursuing and trying to understand the whole visitation question. And uh, maybe there's even a, a distraction given to the public for us to continue to think on one level that they're still flying around in physical craft when, in fact, it's an interdimensional, even beyond linear time kind of experience that's closely connected to human states of consciousness. Well, that's interesting. And you mentioned that maybe, you know, we have to stop thinking about them as being these mechanical, physical craft, which leads me actually to a chapter from Brad Steiger that's included in the anthology, Are UFOs Alive? What is that about? What did Brad Steiger, the late great Brad Steiger, mean when he asked that question? Are UFOs alive? Well, there are uh, two articles on that. Uh, John White also did an article on living UFOs based on the work of Trevor James Constable, 
who was probably the first person in the field, uh, and Steiger references him and also uh, another uh, man, Faye Clark, who was very influential upon Steiger and his thinking, that what we're looking at in the sky are not hard craft like an automobile might be or an airplane, but living organisms that can exist in our atmosphere, that they're intelligent and sentient, and they have the capability of shape-shifting and morphing as well. And interestingly, you know how fiction, uh, and science fiction especially, sometimes precedes what science does and what popular thinking turns to. And in 1913, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who everybody knows from the Sherlock Holmes mysteries, Yes. Uh, he also wrote on vampires and a lot of other phenomena, but he published a story called The Horror of the Heights, in which he describes living organisms in the sky that were very similar to what Trevor James Constable was talking about. And uh, here's a work of fiction. And I do believe that fiction writers often get an idea from maybe the great Sargasso Sea out there of things that wind up being documented by uh, researchers as physical fact much later on. But Steiger also was interested in that about are at least some of these things that we're calling craft, uh, are they living organisms, and might this be why we don't have the nuts and bolts that so many ufologists have looked for? Well, Jesse Marcel... Uh Senior thought he was handling some of the nuts and bolts of a, of a downcraft, which brings us to, of course, you can't have an anthology about UFOs without talking about Roswell. And there's an interesting article submitted by uh, Kevin Randall about an interview he did with Phil Kaufman, who was stationed at Roswell, I guess Army Airfield, and may have borne witness to the actual crash of at least one flying saucer at near Roswell, and then perhaps also was involved in the retrieval. Can you kind of walk us through the chapter and the discussion with Phil Kaufman? Well, it's an interesting case because, as Kevin Randall puts it, you know, this might be like the last witness to Roswell. And, yes, we do have evidence of physical craft. So, you know, my feeling is that we can't categorize UFOs as all of one thing or another, the fact that they seem to be so elusive might point to an interdimensional consciousness, perhaps morphing living organism sort of thing, but then we do have evidence of physical craft as well. Well, Kaufman was in the uh, Air Force and uh, was stationed at Roswell, and uh, he said that um, uh, at, at the time of the incident, this craft, this unknown craft, registered on radar and was tracked as it uh, kind of uh, looped around in the sky. And uh, when it exploded on crashing, it sent off uh, an incredible burst of EMF energy, electromagnetic uh, energy, and that the craft came down in what's n now known as the Hubcorn um farm uh, private property, uh, which was not the site that so many uh, researchers believe that uh, the debris was actually located. And I did actually go to the Hubcorn uh, site myself some years ago. 
and he said that uh, that he was one of the ones who went out there, and uh, he said the craft uh, was triangular in shape with rounded corners. It was about 15 to 20 feet wide at the widest part, and there was uh, a dead alien sitting uh, propped up against a rock um, a short distance away from the craft, and he was very unsettled by it. This was a, it was diminutive, uh, with um, humanoid in appearance. It had a head larger than a human head, and in its its death pose, it had a very serene look on its face, like it had just found the ultimate peace. And there was something about the expression on this uh, alien's face that just unsettled him greatly and that uh, the bodies were all taken away and and the debris, of course, uh, were all taken away. Well, Kevin Randall did quite a bit of research around Kaufman's story, and he did cover some inconsistencies that uh, Kaufman uh, changed some details in his story from time to time and that a lot of it could not be corroborated. Um, But nonetheless, it's... Uh, another piece of important eyewitness account uh, around one of the greatest mysteries in ufology. Of course, uh, Kaufman passed away in in 2001. Um, So as you say, perhaps one of the last uh, witnesses, and now even the children of the uh, the witnesses at Roswell are getting on. So as Don Schmidt likes to say, uh, we are really in a race against the undertaker, um, I, at this point, I, I don't know that we'll ever, ever find out definitively what happened at Roswell. Do you? Probably not. And even as documents get declassified, uh, it's still a selective declassification. And uh, I think that um, we're allowed to know what uh, government agencies want us to know in many of these cases. And we we may never find out the real truth. We have compelling testimony from people who say they witnessed at least pieces of what went on, uh, and there's there's really no way to prove or disprove uh, their testimony. Uh, the idea that. Uh, we have had alien crashes, certainly is plausible, that if there are beings uh, in physical craft visiting, um, there would be accidents, just like we have air accidents. And uh, are these completely cleaned up by government agencies? Uh, that's the big question. There's also an interview with uh, Dr. Jacques Vallée included in the anthology. And it's interesting because uh, he has sort of re-emerged uh, on the scene after, I'm not sure how long, um, maybe a decade away, um, he started showing up occasionally at UFO conferences again. Tell me a little bit about the, uh, the valet interview that's in the, um, in the anthology. Well, one interesting thing about valet is, um, that he did evolve, um, or I should say he has, uh, he has evolved in, in his views about, uh, UFOs. And, uh, for example, he was uh, an early critic of John Keel's, and Keel came out with uh, a lot of really radical ideas in the early 70s in his books like Operation Trojan Horse and Disneyland of the Gods. 
um, arguing against the extraterrestrial hypothesis that um, what we're really dealing with is an interdimensional phenomenon and that uh, alien beings are tapping into our consciousness and they're playing around with us. And right. Steele took a, a very dark view on this, and, and for that he was roundly criticized as a crackpot by u- ufologists, uh, and Valet was one of his critics. And then uh, within a couple of decades, um, in, uh, Valet came around to a lot of the same viewpoints, that right. there, was, um, an a- there is an alien intelligence um, that um, is able to um, to interact with us in ways that the extraterrestrial hypothesis can't explain. And, he wrote a book called uh, Messengers of Deception. People are not stupid. You know, they know what they see, and science should pay more uh, more attention uh, to what the eyewitnesses are uh, are describing. And um, uh, you know, Heineck went through a similar evolution of thinking, and. Uh, I think it's it's good to point that out because uh, there are researchers in the field who uh, get wedded to a viewpoint and they stick to that viewpoint no matter what evidence uh, is discovered, and then look for you know increasingly ridiculous ways to to stick to that viewpoint uh, when in fact we really do need to to be able to. Um, change our theories and our opinions uh, as the evidence uh, advances. Right. You mentioned John Keel, and, and he came to uh, believe that there was sort of a, a, a sinister agenda. Uh, and you mentioned that that um, Dr. Valet sort of came around to that way of thinking because he, he wrote a book called Messengers of Deception, and I'm, I'm just, I, I don't know where Dr. Valet is right now in his thinking. Has he, is, does he still believe that? Do you know that there, that, that, that there may be kind of a sinister agenda, uh, with, with ETs? Well, as, as far as I know, I, um, I, I don't think we've heard much from him, um, recently. Uh, but that, that was the evolution of his thinking. And, uh, you know, he examined a lot of the abduction cases. Uh, we really didn't have a whole lot of literature on the abduction cases and, until the, the um, uh, 70s and 80s, uh, even though abduction cases uh, were taking place before that. Just look at the Tahunga Canyon cases from the 50s in, in uh, Los Angeles and in Brazil. Um, and I have Scott Corrales uh, documenting the Brazilian cases, including the B.S. Boas case, uh, which was very famous. So some researchers have come to that conclusion about the deception end of it, that uh, the way these uh, encounters take place and the way uh, human beings are kind of played with and manipulated um, and uh, led to, uh, to think certain things about the aliens, that uh, there may be a lot of deception going on. Um, Keel's opinion was that, hey, there's nothing we can do about it. Uh, there's a cos- cosmic trickster at work, and uh, we're just um, victims of it. We'll never really know the answers. Um, and I think we will know the answers at some point. Uh, I think. All right. We'll- 
We'll take a time out here, Rosemary. Stay with us. Fate Magazine presents UFOs and the ET Presence. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Hey, welcome back. Hey, incidentally, if you want to help support the show, we are now on Patreon. So uh, check out our page on Patreon, patreon.com, and just uh, search The Conspiracy Show. Rosemary Ellen Guiley stays with us, and we'll continue to talk about UFOs. But we should uh, also uh, touch on um, other areas, aspects of the paranormal. We are approaching Halloween, of course, and uh, we won't get a chance to speak with Rosemary before Halloween. Uh, incidentally, what's happening this year with you and uh, Halloween? Do you have a big uh, paranormal conference or a big investigation going on? Well, every year I go to Salem, very close to Halloween, and I'm uh, there for a number of events. I do my big Black Mirror scrying event uh, the weekend before Halloween, and um, we do the balls. Uh, we, uh, Joe and I are part of a crew for um, a Dumb Supper event, which is a meal for honoring the dead. So we're there for almost a week. And uh, then on Halloween night uh, itself, I'm going to participate in the Ghost to Ghost special on Coast to Coast. <laughs> that's that's a classic. And um, have you had any unusual experiences at Salem over the years? Salem is quite haunted, and I did a book called Haunted Salem. Uh, where I spent a great deal of time there and investigated a lot of the haunted spots. Uh, and there's a lot of residual phenomena, which I have experienced, that uh, really goes back to the old uh, witchcraft trials from 1692. And uh, the remnants of that are still in town. I think there was such an emotional intensity around that witch craze and uh, the 200 or so people who were arrested and accused of witchcraft and the 19 who uh, were executed uh, and lost their lives, it really left a psychic scar on the town. And uh, the ghosts of some of those victims are still about in the restaurants and shops. Uh, The main part of Salem has uh, underground tunnels that connect a lot of uh, the shops, and those tunnels are haunted. Um, And uh, some of the outlying areas uh, around town are as well. So it's always uh, a spooky experience to go to uh, Salem at any time of the year, but then when you've got the Halloween season and um, the folklore about the veil between the worlds being the thinnest, and so much attention focused upon the dead, it really adds a lot of collective energy that helps to uh, amplify the phenomena. So that is true, that that, uh, um, on Halloween, the veil that separates this world from uh, the netherworld or the other side is at its thinnest. Does that mean that spirit communication, you're more likely to have success with, let's say, uh, a Ouija board or uh, some sort of divination on Halloween? Well, traditionally, the belief is yes. And this goes back uh, a long ways to uh, Celtic festivals, the Celtic festival of Samhain, uh, which is what Halloween is today. It was an end-of-the-season harvest festival. And uh, there were beliefs centuries ago that at this time uh, there's... Um, a shift in the 
boundaries in the veil and that um, uh, the dead are able to come into the world of living. And so all of these customs arose for dealing with the spirits who had kind of a night out on the town, so to speak. And uh, there would be rituals to placate the dead, to communicate with the dead, give food offerings, and wear disguises so that uh, spirits uh, could be tricked and um, that they would, wouldn't follow you home, for example. And these customs have survived in many ways over the years. Uh, they've become our trick-or-treating customs. Uh, that evolved over um, rituals of, of going to ask for food for the dead uh, and uh, our uh, parties and uh, other rituals for honoring a, the dead at this time originally were intended to keep the dead at bay, you know, that uh, they would be in the world of the living uh, during this time, uh, but they would uh, want to be encouraged to go back to their world uh, at the end of it. And today, uh, we have um, a lot of rituals for communicating with the dead uh, through seances and with various devices, including the Ouija board, um, rituals to honor the dead, like the Dumb Supper, which is one of my favorites. Uh, and then the Black Mirror event that I do is uh, using black mirrors uh, for the purpose of contacting the dead. And uh, people do have uh, communication. They do make contact. And uh, for many people, it's a surprise. Uh, they might try it because they're a little on the skeptical side. They just want to see what happens. And for other people, they really come seeking contact because they, uh, they want to convey a message or get a message or have some kind of closure. How does Black Mirror scrying work? It's uh, a piece of glass that's painted or coated black on the uh, reverse side, and so it becomes uh, a dully reflecting mirror. Um, it's uh, shiny, and it will reflect things, not as well as a silvered mirror, but when it's positioned properly in dim light, it becomes like a, a blank slate, like a chalkboard. And when you gaze into it uh, in dim light, that fatigues the physical eyes, and the black mirror then takes on um, a consciousness-altering property of becoming like a doorway to the astral plane or the other world, a bridge world where uh, we can solicit communication with the dead. And uh, this also goes back to ancient times uh, when the Greeks used shiny surfaces to uh, contact the spirit world and to withdraw into dark places for the same purpose as well. All right, Rosemary, I've got to take a time out. We'll come back. We'll uh, continue to touch on uh, that, uh, some more UFO topics as well. We'll also open up the phone lines, questions, comments for Rosemary Ellen Guiley, 416-360-0740, 1-866-740-4740. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. 
And we are back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley, the website VisionaryLiving.com. VisionaryLiving.com. Her new project is an anthology, Fate Presents UFOs and the ET Presence. I want to get back to that in a moment, but I want to finish up our discussion on uh, divination. We were talking Halloween and uh, uh, black mirror scrying. Have you had any success with this technique? I have indeed, Richard. I've used black mirrors for um, a good number of years. They're very good for strengthening psychic ability, for uh, sharpening up clairvoyance. They can be used for other purposes besides contacting the dead. You can uh, contact spirit guides, uh, even angels. You can use them for divination of the future, look into the past. Um, They've been used for past life regression. I've uh, had paranormal groups take them out on investigations. Uh, they've been used in seances, and I've used them in seances, too, for mediumistic kinds of communication. So I've, I've had quite a bit of success with them throughout the years, and uh, Joe, my husband, and I have conducted many workshops all over the country. Next year we're doing Black Mirror workshops in England as well. Um, and we've witnessed people have having astounding experiences with the mirrors. Um, some people don't, uh, at least right at first. Um, I think a lot of it depends on how willing you are to uh, suspend disbelief and, and go with your experience. Some people analyze and, uh, you know, they have a tendency to dismiss things as imagination when, in fact, it's their psychic faculty taking over. Uh, People will see things in the mirror. Uh, They will hear voices, feel touched. We've had um, apparitions manifest in the room while people are uh, mirror-gazing, and uh, all kinds of things can happen. We, We actually had a pet manifest. Uh, for the very first time in one of our sessions that we did in Michigan this summer. And um, at the end, we invite people to share their experiences. And a woman described in great detail and very emotionally how she had uh, seen a a very beautiful uh, field uh, setting, and she was reunited with uh, two of her pet dogs who had passed over. And uh, it was a very emotional experience for her. Well, the woman next to her had had an experience well, where while she was gazing into the mirror, she saw in the room a small dog uh, dart under this woman's chair and then disappear. And uh, we figured that this was uh, a manifestation of one, one of the pets that she, uh, uh, this other woman had connected with in the mirror scrying. Hmm. Uh, let's go to the calls and say hi to Joey in Arkansas. Joey, good morning. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Hi, good morning, Richard. I've, I've uh, really enjoyed the show and the guests. Uh, Rosemary, how, how are you? Oh, I'm uh, doing well, thank you. It's uh, the busy season. Yes, ma'am. Is that a question about uh, something earlier you talked about, the uh, UFOs. Uh, I remember... I think it was around 2001 was probably the latest. There was a UFO discovered on the beach that had, uh, I don't know if they said it washed ashore or, uh, but it had, uh, hieroglyphics on the side of it. And, uh, 
I remember seeing it uh, when it when it came out what, from from uh, sources on the internet, but it's been since been removed from the internet. I can't find any pictures on it, and I wondered if you had any knowledge about that um, particular discovery for the hoax or what your opinion on that was. Can you be a little more specific? Where did it wash ashore? Oh man, Richard, you know? I, I can't I can't remember. It was a uh, it was a tropical island. I do know that. Uh, I don't know. Does that I, I sound familiar, Rosemary? It was in. Um, I mean, nothing uh, on a tropical isle is coming to mind. Um, I, I don't know what case that would be, uh, but y- there are other cases where people have recovered debris from um, a- alleged crashes, and um, or they've witnessed uh, something being taken away, like the Kecksburg case. Um, in uh, Pennsylvania back in the 60s uh, where an object crashed into a lake um, and people said they saw uh, a kind of a cone-shaped object under a tarp being carted away by the military. Uh, So there is physical evidence out there um, as well as the evidence that uh, at least some of these craft do seem to be more... um, shape-shifting uh, in in nature, and uh, perhaps uh, other contactees and witnesses have also uh, talked about their impressions that these craft are, uh, at least in part, living organisms as well. But I'm sorry, I don't know the exact case you're referring to. Yeah, we need some more details. If you can, if you can remember any other details, get back to us, Joy, or even um, send me a, an email or uh, a text. You can email me at richardserrett one at gmail dot com. And then, if we have some more details, then maybe we may uh, be able to, uh, you know, to answer the question a little better. But thank you for checking in from Arkansas. Well, speaking of physical evidence. Uh, there is, uh, and you, uh, you dedicate a chapter of, uh, about this in the anthology, Fate Presents UFOs in the ET Presence, and that has to do with angel hair, or something that looks like, almost like a cobweb, as if these crafts are ejecting something out of the craft. Uh, talk to me about uh, angel hair. This goes back to the, the 1950s. It seemed to be that seemed to be kind of a, a hot period for for this discussion on angel hair because we don't hear an awful lot about it now. Uh, we certainly don't, and it seems that uh, ufology goes through waves of things, uh, which is quite interesting in and of itself with different characteristics uh, holding forth for a while and then morphing into something else. Uh, this article was done by Ray Palmer, who was one of the co-founders with Curtis Fuller of uh, Fate Magazine. And the angel hair uh, is is kind of a wispy uh, white uh, substance that um, has been or was uh, found on the ground, for example, after there had been uh, UFO activity. Um, some of it was even collected and uh, chemically analyzed uh, in one case. Um, Palmer talks about um, an analysis that showed the substance to be organic and that it could be dissolved in hydrochloric acid and that it had inflammable uh, characteristics as well. And um, there were speculations that, well, this 
wasn't really coming from UFOs. It was probably you know the, the debunker and the skeptic side of it. Um, it was uh, kind of like silky kinds of threads that uh, we find in milkweed that floats around, cottonwood, uh, and things like that. But this uh, angel hair uh, was a commonly reported characteristic for uh, some years and then just kind of um, literally vanished. I mean, we rarely hear about angel hair any anymore. And uh, his speculation was, are, are UFOs ejecting something uh, from the right. craft? Could this be like perhaps waste that they, they might dispel into the atmosphere? Uh, it was also described... Oh. Yeah, I'm sorry. He also made the suggestion that it could be like uh, chaff, which is sometimes ejected by fighter planes during World War II. It was used in other uh, other eras to confuse radar. That's right. Yes, and uh, maybe it would have that property as well. Um, there were some descriptions of it as more foam-like rather than silky thread. Uh, that there seemed to be some variations in these substances, uh, and. Um, uh, there was one case from um, 1957 uh, where this foam-like substance uh, was actually touched and that it had kind of a numbing effect. And nobody ever was able to ascertain exactly what um, this angel hair uh, range of substances, oh, exactly what they exactly were and what their purpose was. Uh, I did like the explanation about um, the uh, the radar, um, something to confuse radar that uh, our own terrestrial craft had used, and that, um, who knows, maybe the alien craft were uh, trying to throw us off their trail with the ejection of angel hair. But then that raises the question, uh, if it was some sort of effective thing for uh, aliens to uh, to eject, Back then, uh, what changes occurred that it rarely happens anymore? Well, that was 60 years ago. Uh, I mean, who knows? We evolve, perhaps so, so too have they. Maybe their technology is just better now. They don't need that anymore. Well, it could be, and I, I also think it's because we've made some shifts in consciousness, and there has been more of an inquiry now on the nature of human consciousness and the fact that these experiences may take place in alternate realities. They're not physical experiences on Earth uh, in 3D reality, but um, a lot of these contact experiences and sightings um, involve these alternate realities. Rosemary, how do people get a copy of Fate Presents UFOs and the E.T. Presence? It is available on Amazon and in select bookstores right now. The e-book will be coming out next week. Fantastic. And again, the website is visionaryliving.com. Rosemary, until next month, uh, you have a, a terrific Halloween. Well, you stay out of trouble, Richard. <laughs> no, no danger at this point that I'm going to get into any kind of trouble. <laughs> All the best, Rosemary. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Good night. Good night. All right. Back next week with a brand new program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. And what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming upstairs. Good night.